Hey, good morning, church. It's great to be with you again this, another Sunday, the last Sunday in, last Sunday in the month. Um, for the past few weeks, we've been doing a series of talks on how to make the best decisions of your life, how to make good decisions, uh, or how to find God's will in making decisions so you can have, you end up, do the best decisions that have the best outcomes. And I've tied to this series of talks a simple title, How Do I Know? And the series is based on a, on a question that I get more often than any other questions that, that I get as a pastor. And the question is normally it doesn't really end with how do I know? It normally ends with something else that falls up with it. Stuff like, how do I know what God wants from me? Or how do I know what God wants for me? And, and sometimes the question is just even a little bit more fundamental than that. Sometimes the question is something like, well, Pastor Gary, how do I know? How do I know? What is it that I really want? I'm not even sure what I really want. And, and sometimes, you know, people are like at this crossroads and I don't know which way to go. And both options seems like good options. And, and, you know, you can make a case for either option. And then, you know, sometimes the question is, how do I know which decision is right for me? And so we've been talking about that for the past few weeks, but as I close out the series this week, I want to talk about, I want to talk about dreams. But not just dreams like, you know, like you had some too much to eat the night before. I want to talk about, I want to talk the, the dreams that you have for your life. The dreams that, that, that it, it, sometimes we use other words like vision, sometimes we use other words like passion, but just for today, I'm going to call it dreams. It's the thing that you see when, you know, when you kind of, the thing that you see, the thing that you hope for, the thing that, that you believe, and the things that you're believing for the future of your life. And so the question I'm oftentimes asked when it comes on to people's dreams, when it comes on to your dream, the question I'm often asked is, Pastor Gary, how do I know my dream is real? How do, my, how do I know my dream is not a fantasy? And, and you know, because sometimes when, when you have this dream, it, it can seem impossible it can seem far-fetched. It can seem, it can seem so out of reach that, that you're asking yourself the question, how do I know that this dream is real? And, you know, you may have had some dreams that you feel like are so directly from God. And you feel that, you know, like that, that this is like right there and so you set out to accomplish them. Are you like, yeah, I have this dream to be a doctor. So you set out and you say that, you know, I'm going to go out and, and I'm going to study real hard. And so you had these dreams of aspirations, whatever it is you dream for, you had your vision and, and you had a thing that you believe that God really placed inside your heart. And so you set out and you did all the right things. You took all the right classes. You met all the right people. You studied, you prepared, you, you, you went out and you got wise counsel. And you did everything that you believed was the right thing to do. Man, you even created a vision board. 
and you can't even draw or you can't even do art. And you told everybody, you know, I have this dream and, and God has given me this. I told people that, that God has given me this dream. Then I'm going to go out and start a business or whatever it is that you're going to do. And you might even said, you know, I told people that God called me for this. I feel the calling that God called me for this. And so, so you stepped out on faith. And now you're there and, and the dream doesn't seem so much like a dream anymore. It may even seem like a nightmare because where you are standing right in the middle, it had to have been a fantasy because the bills aren't being paid. The people aren't coming. The customers aren't showing up. Hey, I checked. I've been at this thing for a year and a half now and I checked my YouTube page. I only got 50 followers. And 40 of them are my best friends. They're my good friends and family. And you find yourself asking the question, or maybe asking me the question, Pastor Gary, how do I know that this dream wasn't just a fantasy? Today I want to talk about dreams. Before we go any further, let's just pray. Father, God, I just ask that you just speak through me. Lord, this word that you have laid on my heart, that I'll deliver it the way in which you intended, just the way you wanted it. Lord, I pray that it may touch the people that it needs to touch who are listening and watching. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, in the book of Genesis, there's a story that has been ministering to me during a very, very tough season of, of my life. The story begins in Genesis chapter 37 with a dream. Genesis 37.5 said, Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. It, Joseph had a dream. Joseph had a dream. Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. You know, in order for you to understand this opening verse, a, a, a little bit of background is, is probably in, in order. See, Joseph was 17 years old when he, had, when he got this dream. And, and Joseph had a, had a different mother than all of his older brothers. He had some older brothers. And his father, Jacob, Joseph's father, Jacob, loved Joseph's mom more than his, the other baby, the other children's mom. And so he treated Joseph differently. And for years, the brother had seen that Joseph's father, their father, Jacob, had treated Joseph as different. They see them treat Joseph as special. They seen Joseph's father, Jacob, to top it off, he gave Joseph a gift. His father gave him a gift that was not only special, but it was obvious. His gift was obvious for everyone to see that he had the special gift. And the gift that Joseph got was a one-of-a-kind designer coat, you know, 
And whenever Joseph wore it, everyone could see that Joseph was special. Everyone could see that Joseph was different. Everyone could see Joseph's gift. They hated him for it. You know, a couple of things to note here is that sometimes people will resent you. Sometimes people will ridicule you. Sometimes people won't even like you because you have a gift. And, and a gift, when I'm talking about a gift here, I'm not talking about something that you give yourself. You know, as I was saying, that, I was thinking about um, one of my former coworkers. Uh, she wanted to get some guy jealous at work. And so she would, you know, buy herself flowers and, and pretend it like it was this gift from this, this imaginary, well, she didn't say it was imaginary. So it was a guy. It, all, it, it, it seemed to work for a while till her admin assistant busted on her. So I'm not talking about something you give yourself. I'm not talking about a reward for a heroic act or something like that. I'm not talking about getting paid for working. No, that's not what I'm talking about. What, what I'm talking about is something that you get through favor. That's a gift. So you didn't do anything to deserve it. Maybe you were born into a family that, that had more than others. And so you're afforded some more luxury than others. Maybe you, um, you, you were born with like some seriously good looks that from the moment you popped out, everybody's like, man, that's a beautiful little girl, baby. Or a handsome little boy, baby. And you just grew. And, and you know, a girl, you know, everybody looking at you and you're like, you're just so fine. And a guy, everybody's like, mm, so handsome, so well. And maybe, you know, good looks is a gift. Or maybe you had a skill that you, you were great at basketball or, or you can sing. Or as they would say, you can sing. Or maybe you had brains like, like you know, like, like I know somebody who's never gotten a B in a class, right? You know, that's a gift. Something you do better than others. You didn't come out figuring that out. That just happened. Or somebody maybe gave you something, some un, un, unexpected favor. And sometimes... People not only resent you because you have a gift, but sometimes they, they resent you and sometimes they ridicule you and sometimes they reject you because you're different. Ask anybody who has any kind of special needs and they'll tell you that. Or maybe your personality was a little bit, there was something that was different about you. And so you're in, you're in grade school, elementary, middle, high school, and you're getting, and because you're different, you're getting teased, and you're getting bullied, and later on in life, you know, you're out of school now, and you're different, and so people think you're weird. And you know, you may say stuff like, well, you know, I'm keeping myself, I don't know what I did in the past, but I'm keeping myself till I get married. I'm not going to have sex anymore till I get married. You know, years ago, I used to work at a department store. The department store is out of business. It was called Zare, Zare Department Store. And I worked in health and beauty aids. This is a whole story I'll tell you about sometime. But at around 19, I made a decision to like, I was going to live my life for Christ. And some of the things that I was doing before, I'm like, with girls and stuff, I'm not going to do that anymore. Well, there's this girl who, you know, 
who, well, I had two stories. One, there was a girl who laughed at me about it. She wouldn't go out with me because of that. But this other one who was like, man, I'm going to break him. And she told her friends, I'm going to break him. I didn't know that until afterwards. By the way, she, she didn't break me. But, but people look at you because you're different and they resent you, they reject you, they ridicule you because you're different. And you know the funny thing about like, people who are different? Uh, people have some different reactions to somebody who's different. Uh, generally, they fear them like, man, I don't want to hang with them because they're different. Or sometimes they'll, they say opposites attract, right? You know, so sometimes they'll be attracted to different. But too often, opposites, when somebody is different, it attacks. Oppo- opposition attacks. But anyway, there's a third thing I noticed when I started reading the story. It's not only, you know, that a gift, when you have a gift, um, people resent you. Not only people resent you because you're different, but the third thing I notice is that your dreams will make you different. Your dreams will make you different. You know, when you're different, you think different. When you're different, you act different. When you're different, (laughs) you just live different. You are different. And what I mean by that is that when, when you will sacrifice when you have a dream because you're different. You'll be more focused than others. You'll be, you'll be like, you know, your schoolwork, I got to do my schoolwork. People out partying, people out having fun. You're like, no, 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 I got to do that. People are like, what's up with you, man? You're not having any fun. You don't want to go out. You're like, you're like a square that. No, you're different. Your desires will make you different. Your dreams does make you different. So anyway, back to our story of Joseph. So Joseph tells them his dream. Genesis 39, 6, he said to them, hey, hey guys, he goes out to his brothers and says, hey guys, listen to this dream I had. We, in my dream, we were binding sheaves. We were binding sheaves and sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright. And while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to my sheaves. <laughs> His brother said to him, I was like, Joseph, you, you intend to reign over us? <laughs> we think you, you're actually going to rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream. People will reject you and hate you because of the dream. And it wasn't as if Joseph didn't know that, that his brothers hated him. Because earlier in the passage, it said his brothers disliked him so much that they could not, and it used the word could not, they could not even speak a single kind word to him. You think about that. Not one single word. They didn't even have it in it. They couldn't even muster it up. They couldn't have it. But you think that would have stopped Joseph, right, from telling them about another dream he had. (laughs) No, actually, it did stop him. You see, when you have a dream that is not a fantasy, when your dream is real and not a fantasy, it permeates your mind. When your dream is real and not a fantasy, you can't stop thinking about it. When your dream is real and not a fantasy, you can't stop talking about it, even if others around you are tired of hearing about it, even if others around you are rejecting you for it, you can't shut up. And that's what happened to Joseph. 
So he tells him another dream. <laughs> in verse 9, he says, and he had another dream. And he told it to his brothers. He said, hey, hey guys, listen, listen, listen. I got another dream. And this time, this one's different. This time, the sun and the moon and 11 stars. Remember, Joseph had 11 brothers. Were bowing down to me. See, Joseph had two parents, right? And, and his brothers figured out that the sun and moon were, were his, 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 his father and his stepmom. And, and, um, and his father like, um, Joseph, you think your mother and I are going to bow down to you? Is, is that what you think? Now, if you've never read the story, you, you probably should read it. If you only heard about it, you know, kind of in passing or you saw something on TV, you should read the story. The story is found in Genesis 37 and in Genesis 39 to 48, it continues. If you've read the story before, you should read it again. If you haven't read the story since, I would say, like March of last year, you think about what happened March of last year, what began last month, I believe you should read it again because I believe that God has a lot to tell you in this season of your life through this story, the story of Joseph. Just like he had a lot to tell me during this season of my life. Now it's too much to read here, so I'm going to give you the cliff notes of the story. Or uh, I don't think they have cliff notes anymore. I think they have spark notes. I'm going to give you spark notes. You know, Joseph's brothers hated him so much that they thought about killing him and telling their father that some wild animal had killed him. But eventually, they decided that, well, we're not going to kill him. We just throw him. We're not going to kill him ourselves. We just throw him in a pit. And so they threw him in the pit. And then they saw some same slave traders coming by. And so they decided, that, hey, let's make some money off him. So they decided to take him from the pit to sell him as a slave to Potiphar. And Potiphar was a big-time government official. But I like what it says in Genesis 39.3, and it says, the Lord was with him. The Lord was with Joseph. Anyway, Joseph's in Potiphar's house, and Joseph serves so well that he's promoted to be in charge of Potiphar's household. He, Joseph was the HMIC, not the HNIC. That's something different. Joseph was the head man in charge, and he was doing that until he was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife of sexual harassment. And he was thrown into prison. And as a result of it, he was thrown in prison as a result of it. In Genesis 39, 20-21, it says, But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. While Joseph was in prison, the Lord was with him. And Joseph served so well in prison that the warden puts him in charge of the, of the prison. He was now the HPIC. He was the head prisoner in charge. And, and you, know what, you know what happened after he became the head prisoner in charge? You know what happened? Nothing. He was still a prisoner. Locked away in prison. Year one. Year two. Year three. Year four. Five. Year six. Still serving. Year seven. Still serving. Year eight. All the way through about year 11. The Lord was with him until, through a series of events, 
he got pardoned by the king and placed in a leadership position in the palace. <laughs> now think about the story for a second. Think about where Joseph was. He was in the pit. He was in Potiphar. He was in prison. And he was in the palace. These words all begin with the letter P that Joseph experienced as a result of his dream. Pit. Potiphar's house. Prison. Palace. You may say Joseph was up to his ears in P as a result of his dream, but in every situation and every time Joseph experienced a different P, every time Joseph experienced another problem, every time Joseph was in another position, every circumstance, every place where Joseph was in, the Lord was with him. Seven times it said in the passage, as if to remind us that when, you, when Joseph was in the pit, when he was in Potiphar's house, when he was in prison, when he was in the palace, when he was in his problems, he's like, I don't want y'all to forget that the Lord was with Joseph. I want to tell you something this morning as you're listening to it. I don't know what P you're in right now, but I want to tell you that your P is any place where the Lord is with you. Let me say that one more time. Your P is any place where the Lord is with you. See, I don't know if that hits you the way that it hit me as I, as I was sitting out writing, but it hit me really, really hard. It says that no matter what P you're up to your ears in, no matter what place you are in your life, no matter what season you're in, no matter how bleak the situation, no matter the job loss, no matter the relationship loss, no matter the financial loss, on, or whether you're on the opposite end of that, no matter what successes you're in, I believe God wants you to know, God wants you to remind you this morning that if you are a follower of Jesus, the Lord is with you and he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. No matter what place you're in, the Lord is with you. No matter how you feel, it doesn't change that fact that the Lord is with you. And you know, as long as Joseph did the right thing, as long as he did the right thing, the Lord was with him. And the same thing is true with you. The same thing is true with me. That as long as I do the right thing, the Lord is with you. But you probably knew that already. But here's something that you probably don't know. That even if you do the wrong thing, the Lord is still with you. Like what? Yep, even if you do the wrong thing, if you're a child of God, the Lord is still with you. You see, even if you're in a place where you're not supposed to be, the Lord is with you. He will never leave you or nor forsake you. If you're... I don't know who needs to hear that today. But whatever P you're in, the Lord is with you. You know, the story goes on to tell us that... that there was a major drought and a resulting famine in Egypt, but not only in Egypt, there was a drought and famine in the whole world. But Egypt was in actually a great place because Joseph, who was 
you know, Joseph, the king plays Joseph in charge of the Department of Agri Egypt's Department of Agriculture. Joseph uh, saved up enough grain before the drought started. So now Egypt has so much excess grain that, they, that people are coming from all over the surrounding areas coming to buy grain from Egypt. And Joseph was in charge of this food distribution. And so it is that one day, his brothers show up. In Genesis 42, verse 6, it says, Now Joseph was governor of the land. The person, he was a person who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. Joseph's brothers didn't recognize him because Joseph was in all his Egyptian guard. They thought they were bowing down to Egyptian royalty, to Egyptian dignitaries. But Joseph knew who he was. And right then, and right there, Joseph remembered his dream. It... <laughs> And Joseph was overcome when he realized that this was his dream. And he left the room and he wept. As he realized the fulfillment of the dream that God had placed in his life some 22 years earlier. See, Joseph was about 39 years old when his entire family came to Egypt from 17 to 39. And right then and there, Joseph realized what the last 22 years of his life was all about. The pit, Potiphar, prison. Even the palace was all, they were all preparation. There's another P. It was all part of the plan for realizing his purpose. So here's the truth for you. Your P is part of the plan for your purpose. Your P is part of the plan for your purpose. See, Joseph's place of the pit and slavery was his pathway to promotion. See, Joseph's place of promotion was his pathway to prominence. Joseph's place of prominence was his pathway to the promise. And that is a place of promise. The place of promise is a pathway to the fulfillment of your passion, which is another way of saying your dream. The fulfillment of the dream and the passion is the pathway for the realization of your purpose. See, your pee is part of the plan for your purpose. So when you're up to your ears in your pee, it's all part of a plan for the realization and the fulfillment of your purpose. What I mean by that? You know, when you lose your position at work, there's a pee right there, it's part of the plan. When you get your promotion at work, it's part of the plan. When that relationship that you desired is now past, not the P. It's part of the plan. When you are in that predicament, well, it, just know that it's part of the plan. And when you put yourself in the P where you're not supposed to be, 
God is turning around. He's turning around and working it out. And he's working it into the plan. And God does such a great job of working into the plan that when you look in hindsight and you look backwards, it would all seem like all those problems, the predicament that you put yourself into was part of the plan for the fulfillment of your dream because God is always working things out for his good. Romans 8, 28. And for Joseph... Nowhere in the narrative does it say Joseph was doing what he did because he was following his dreams. Joseph, Joseph, it didn't say Joseph did this because he remembered his dream and he was following his dream. That's why he served well in Potiphar's house. No, he didn't do that. He simply did the right thing. He, he served well. He simply did the right thing. No matter what situation was in, he lived well. He simply did the right thing. In all circumstances. See, Joseph wasn't following his dreams. His dreams were actually following him. Joseph's dreams was actually following him. <laughs> Joseph's dreams followed him from the pit to Potiphar. Joseph's dream followed him from Potiphar to the prison. Joseph's dream followed him from the prison to the palace. And you know, sometimes things that happen to us sometimes can seem so random. And sometimes the things that happen to us, sometimes, you know, it can seem so, it almost seems like, like it's accidental, like, you know, kind of like, how do we hear your man just slightly stroke it? But too often, we, we don't realize that really, that is in that process, that accident, that, that random stuff, it, it's the, in that predicament and whatever it is, but in that process, the dream is being worked out. And the fact is, the dream oftentimes look different. When you first get it and you're looking at it in the windshield, through the windshield, you're looking down the road, my dream is down there. Your dream looks so different when you look at it through the windshield, that when you're looking at it through the rearview mirror. You see, when you're looking at it through the windshield, you're looking at it through your perspective, like this is how God's going to work it out. Oh, I can just see it. This is going to come together. Everything's going to happen just like this. And you're looking at it through your perspective. And then when you get there, fast forward, and you get there, and you look back. And you look backwards. When you look backwards in the rearview mirror, it's through God's perspective through God's land. And so when you're up to your ears and your pee, it's really hard to see either the windshield or the rearview mirror. All you can see around you is just the traffic, is just the stuff. So your duty, no matter what situation you're in, is to live well, to serve well, and to make and, and live your life and make decisions according to wise, godly principles. You know, I believe that, um, that God is telling somebody listening today, I want you to hear me clearly. You have the right dream, but you just need to see it differently. 
You have the right dream, but you just need to see it differently. And sometimes we can't even see through the windshield because the windshield is dirty. We have a distorted view of what the vision and the dream that God placed in our heart. And sometimes we can't see it because we are preoccupied with the noise and we are preoccupied with the traffic that is around us. We are preoccupied with it all around us. Sometimes we can't see it because there's a detour. We're supposed to be going to Orlando. We're supposed to be going to Kissimmee. But the GPS is taking me to Naples. And I'm like, I don't see Kissimmee from Naples. And you may be thinking that, I got the wrong dream. Maybe it's Naples. But you have the right dream. You just need to see it differently. And so many of us are standing in the middle of our dream. And we don't realize it because it just seems different than how we envisioned it. You have the right dream. You just need another perspective. You need to see it differently. Oh, back to my story, Joseph. In Genesis 45, verse 4, Joseph said to his brothers, he's like, hey, hey guys, come close to me. And when they had done so, he said to them, because remember, his brothers didn't recognize him. He recognized his brothers. He says, I am your brother, Joseph, the one who you sold into Egypt. And now don't be distressed. Don't be angry at yourself because, don't be angry at yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. I want him to say that one more time. Brothers, don't be angry for selling me because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you, for you guys, a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. This brings me to a third truth. It's almost a tongue twister, third truth. Truth. Your dream is not for your status, but it is for your service. You see, the dream that Joseph got about his brothers bowing down to him was never about Joseph ruling about his brothers. It was about Joseph serving his brothers and saving his brother's life. His dream was so much bigger than bowing down to Joseph. His dream was, his dream was not about Joseph ruling his dream was about preserving a nation where Jacob and, and his sons live, Joseph's brothers live. His dream was about preserving a people through which the Savior of the entire world would come. His dream was about a legacy, creating a legacy that long after Joseph was gone, 
His legacy would live on for years and years and years and years and years. And you know when Joseph's dream came true, when his, when his dream was realized, it wasn't anything that in, in any way, shape, or form that Joseph could have ever imagined in his wildest dreams. Rather, his dreams came true with his brothers standing there, hands out, face bowed to the ground. Because it was right then and right there in the middle of that, that Joseph realized that this is the dream. He realized that his dreams were not placed there for his status, but for his service. He's distributing grain. You know, I want to tell you that when you're standing there, this is maybe a message for somebody too, that one day your dream is, when your dream is realized, you're going to be standing there. You need to remember this. Never forget that your dream is not for your status. It's not to say I've arrived, it's for your service. And, and so many times, you know, we, we can get this wrong. You know, you may say, you know, I have a dream that I am going to earn a million dollars. Period. I have a dream that I'm going to do and you feel like own a big old house. Period. And too many times we end the sentence right there. But, but, but what God wants to tell us is that the sentence doesn't end there in your dream. Your sentence ends at, I have a dream to do this. So that. There's a so that that needs to be ended. That needs to be at the end of every time you have a dream. I have a dream so that. I have a dream so that I can serve somebody. I have a dream that I can meet this. I have a dream to earn a million dollars so I can invest it in some people's lives, in some missionaries. I want to have a big house because I want it to serve the kingdom, that the house will be there for everybody to come and always be open. Your, your dream must always have a so that. So that you can meet the need, so that you can serve more effectively. In essence, you know what your dream, your dream always must have a so that that ends in some part of living out the great commission, which is to tell somebody, to teach somebody, and to serve somebody. That's the great commission, to tell, to see, to serve. Your dreams should have a so that, that it has a great commandment at the end, so that I can live out the great commandment, which is to love God. And to love others as much as God loves us. That's your so that. So, how do you know if your dream is real and not a fantasy? Well, here are some ways to tell. When your dream is real, it makes you different. When your dream is real, it makes you different. And when it makes you different, you're going to act different. You're going to think different. You're going to live different. You know how you know when your dream is real? Because your difference causes you, that you're, you to make you willing to make sacrifices and to do things that people may consider stupid. 
It may make you pack up and leave your home country and go to some other country. Like my parents did. Because they had a dream. When you're willing to forego <laughs> hanging out with your friends and doing the same things as the crowd, when you're home studying, and when you're home preparing, everybody else is out partying, going out to dinner. When you're willing to go outside of conventional norms, that's when your dream is real. When it makes you different. You know, and talking about conventional norms, um, one of our um, things on our worship team, one of our editors, Jessica, it's funny, she's going to be editing this, so she's going to hear her name show up in here. But anyway, Jessica, about three years ago, she said to me, she goes, Uncle Gary, that's what she calls me. She goes, I want to quit my, I'm thinking about, I have a dream about being a YouTube star. <laughs> I, I, when she told me on the phone, I wanted to laugh. I'm like, a YouTube star? Who does that? That's not a real job. She goes, I have this dream. But I didn't say anything. What I said to her is that I'd go pray about it. And then, you know, overnight, I prayed about it overnight. I said, girl, go follow your dreams. When I told some other people that, hey, Jessica told me she's going to do this, and she had like, I don't know, 10,000 followers at that time, which is a lot, you know. I'm still working on getting to 1,000. You know. Now she has, I don't know, 500 and something thousand. A couple of years making, you know, making a living out of that. You see, when your dream is real, you're willing to do things that makes you different. When you can't stop thinking about it, when you can't shut up, even when people don't want to hear, as in the case of Joseph, even when you know when others resent you, it's real when it makes you think different, act different, live different. How do you know your dream is, not, is real and not a fantasy when it makes you different? But there's another way. You can tell when your dream is real and not a fantasy. When your dream is real and not a fantasy, your dream will follow you. What I mean by that is that the dream doesn't die regardless of the P you're in. Your dream doesn't die regardless of whether you're in the pit. The dream doesn't die. When you're in Potiphar's house, the dream doesn't die. When you're in prison, the dream doesn't die. When you're in the palace, the dream doesn't die. You see, when you're in your place of prominence, the dream doesn't die. When you're in your place of promotion, the dream doesn't die. When you're, when you're in that high position, the dream doesn't die. When you're in the low position, the dream doesn't die. When you pass over for another P, when, when you pass over for the promotion, the dream doesn't die. When you're in a predicament, the dream doesn't die. And even if you've made bad decisions and the consequences of your past decisions are placing you in a position that is much less than optimal, the dream doesn't die. And when the dream doesn't die, and when the dream doesn't die, it keeps following you. And it follows you when you look in the rearview mirror and see how God has been working it out, taking you from pit to promotion, from prison to the palace. That's when you know.
regardless of how long it takes, regardless of the roadblocks, regardless of the predicaments that you have gone through, when the dream keeps following you, you know it's real. And how do you know when the dream is real and not a fantasy? I'd say probably the most important thing, how you can tell that your dream is real is when it's more about the who than it is about the do. When it's more about the who than it's about the do. You know the thing about dreams is that there is really no single way that God places them in your mind. You know, sometimes he places a calling on you your dream just gradually, he increases the, the volume and you eventually, over time, you're like, wow, wow, God, is, he's doing something. And it increases intensity so much that, that the dream that he's placing you is unmistakable. The calling is unmistakable. And, and another time, sometimes the dream is awakened or the dream is shaped through shut doors. The dream is shaped through, sometimes through open doors. So you shut some door and you open some doors and many times God will deliberately shut a door that he opened for you in the beginning. God opened it and you walked in and you walk and walk in and you go through door, door and everything's good and he just shuts the door and he closes off all the options around you and there's no more options like, like around you in that door. You know what you got to do? You got to turn around. And when you turn around, you notice that he's opening some other doors to you. Because, you know, sometimes your last open door is an open door for a season. And sometimes he puts a dream in you in another way. Sometimes he puts it to you in a still, small voice of his word. Or maybe a prophetic word that somebody speaks over you. Or a vision or a godly counselor, or a pastor, or a message. And sometimes it's from birth. You know, uh, God told Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 1.5, he said, uh, before I started, <laughs> I like this, before I started to put you together in your mother's womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart as holy. That word holy means different. I set you apart as different. You see, your dream, the dream that keeps following you, the dream that you can't get out of your mind, the dream that you can't shut up about, yeah, that dream, it's called a calling. It's a calling that God had placed in you when he created you. But regardless of how he gave it to you, he said, well, look, it's about a who before a do. I called you and set you apart to be holy, to walk holy, to live holy, to live justly. And that's why I say he called you to be a who before he called you to a do. I stole that from somebody. And Paul begged us to remember this. He says, don't ever forget that you're supposed to be a who. You're supposed to live holy 
because you are set apart as holy. And, and Paul, you know, in, the, in, in Ephesians 4.1, he, he wrote about this. He said, hey guys, I'm begging you to remember this. He said, I, who am a prisoner of the Lord, beg you. Another version says, beseech you to live a life or to lead a life worthy of your calling. To live and lead a life worthy of your calling because you have been called. You've been given a dream by God. So how do you know if your dream is real and not a fantasy? Well, when it's about who you are, before it is about what you do. When it is about a who, before it is about a what. And you see, that is my ending point, but it really is the beginning point. And so many of us have missed that. For us, it's been about so many things. It's been about the do before the who. It's about the what before the who. It's oftentimes, it's the, I, I can do this before I am, called to, I am called to live a life of holy. It is the I can before the I am. And God is calling us first, first, to live a life that is worthy of our calling. To live a life that is worthy of his dream that he has placed in us. You know, all of us, you know, I've been called to be many things in life. I've been called to be a father. I've been called to be a, a boss, a leader. I've been called to be a pastor. I've been called to be a friend. And for all of those, the one thing that they have in a common is I'm called to be a who in order to live out God's will in every one of them. So as I close, I want to invite you to become the who. If you want to know how to do that, it's really just by putting your faith in Jesus and living according to what he's asked you to do. If you'd like to do it, I'd like to pray with you and just repeat this prayer after me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I realize that I've made it about the do. I got to do this. I got to do this. I got to do this. I got to live this. I got to start this business. I got to start this new job. I got to finish school. And, and we've forgotten that first is about the who. And Lord, I know the reason why is that I haven't put my faith and trust and hope and belief in you. And I have not been living according to godly principles. But God, today, I want to live the dream by first being the dream. So please come into my life and take control. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, if you've done that, welcome. The dream is about to be so real and not be a fantasy. I just want to encourage you this morning that if the dream is not looking the way that you expected when you looked through the windshield. It's looking, you can't even see anything because you're in the middle of stuff. When you look in the rearview mirror, you'll see that God is taking you from pit to promotion. He's taking you from prison 
the palace. Don't forget that. God bless you. Have a great day. Have a great week.